Hello and welcome to our podcast, Within the Mist, that dark place that you walk into and discover the clouded unknown. I am your host, Gary, here to tell you about cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries. And you will be shocked to know that we are joined by my wife and co-host, Goldie Ann. Hello, Goldie Ann. I'm so full of it. <laughs> I'm just happy you're here. Uh-huh. You're the joy of the day. Oh, yeah? Yes. You know that's you're the one the audience are actually waiting for, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, uh, let's get into our announcements. Upcoming, we have uh, December 15th. I, I and Goldie Ann will be appearing at Diane's Tea Room for a ghost story Christmas dinner show. So for two hours, you can enjoy a great Christmas meal and ghost stories of the holiday type. I think I kind of want one of her sandwiches again. Oh, <laughs> well, you might have to talk to her ahead of time because it's a set menu. It was really good. Well, the food's usually good. I know. It's like, wow. But it's hard for me to eat and tell stories at the same time. So I kind of have to, you know, bounce back and forth. I just eat and watch you. That sounds so hard. I know. It's hard being a co-host. Um, I guess I see that. So, for all of you in the Kissimmee, Orlando area on December 15th, please uh, click on the show notes link and make your reservations today for the Tea Room Ghost Story Christmas. Now, before we begin with our story, first, a word from our sponsor. Welcome back. So, Goldie Ann, as I was writing this, I found a lot of other similar creatures, and do you know what you- Similar creatures? I'm out. <laughs> There's a whole block of creatures that, have, that can fit into this category. In fact, do you know what you get when you cross a spider with corn? Uh, a burning house? For you, yes. But for everyone else, cobwebs. I think I broke Goldie Ann. <laughs> are you, are you going to be okay? No. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, if that hurts your head, please remember that today's story involves a creature that may spark some listeners' arachnophobia. Yeah, like mine. Well, this is the fear of spiders, and these events may be upsetting to some of our listeners. I'm telling you, if I have nightmares tonight, I'm kicking you all night. <laughs> I'm guessing I'm sleeping on the couch. Goldie Ann, just remember, we are storytellers who love to spin tales about cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries. We don't intend to scare you, but maybe just a little. Listener discretion is always advised, even for their co-host. <laughs> and so we begin. Spiders have been the source of immense fear and distress for so many eliciting an intense feeling of creepiness upon mere contemplation. Fear of arachnids often corresponds to their number of legs. Generally, anything with more than four can cause extreme fear. Octopus have more than four. I like them. Okay, then what's the difference between an octopus and a spider? Spiders or spider? <laughs> Well, then I guess we're not going to get to the root of the, your fear of arachnophobia. Probably not. But it is a well-known phenomenon 
that has been in existence for centuries and it seems unlikely to go away anytime soon. Arachnophobia is characterized as an irrational fear of spiders and other arthropods, such as scorpions and ticks. This phobia can manifest commonly in adults, resulting in a range of psychological and physiological symptoms, including elevated heart rate, difficulty breathing, and even panic attacks. Heard. So you've had a panic attack from a spider? Um, yeah, actually, I almost had a miscarriage from a spider. Oh, no. Yes, That's... due to my father. Wow, that is intense. He was very, very sorry afterwards. Uh, yeah, I would think so. <laughs> well, he pretended to throw it at me when I was trying to get him to kill it for me. Flying spiders are even worse than regular spiders. Yeah. Intense level of disgust towards arthropods has been observed in many cultures across the globe. So just imagine a small deer transverses the treacherous jungle of Africa's Congo. It has to be continually vigilant of the lurking dangers. Giant snakes and predatory animals are among the numerous threats that scavenge the areas. Despite this, this little woodland creature has made its way cautiously and without incident. The deer steps forward feeling its way in the dark. Suddenly, its leg grazed what felt like a silky, slimy vine. Before it has time to comprehend what it was, the ground beneath it shakes and explodes, revealing a gaping hole. Its eyes widen as it beholds the sharp teeth of a dark, hairy demon lurking in the trap door. The eyes bulge as it turns, but it was too late. A monstrous spider with legs spanning over four feet across lunges from the shadows. Fangs dripping with venom slices through the air like razor blades, piercing flesh and bone. Before the little animal can scream, sticky webbing engulfs its body, pulling it closer to the arachnid's gaping maw. As those massive fangs puncture the deer's skin again and again, hot venom floods its veins and sends waves of agony through its body. There is no escape. There is when I leave the room. Well, for those who remain, <laughs> join us as we explore within the mists of the Congo to discuss the Jabba Fofi. That's just a funny name for a spider. It is. And what it means is of excessive size. Oh, so that's not so yeah. funny anymore. Well, the wording of it is Jabafofi. As long as you don't know what it's translated as, it can be very humorous. Chapter one, a missionary's work in the jungle. The Congo Basin stretched out before the Western explorer and British missionary, Arthur John Sims in 1891. It was like a vast sea of green and it was an utter contrast to the arid desert he had crossed for the past months, and it felt like he had stepped into a different world. As he surveyed the jungle, he was struck by the sheer diversity of life that it harbored. He had heard stories about how the Congo Basin was home to some of the world's most impressive wildlife, 
but he never expected it to be so vibrant and alive. In the distance, there were chirping birds filling the air with their melody, while monkeys leaped from branch to branch, playfully chasing one another. He could even make out the distant rumble of an elephant as it passed through the trees. The Congo was not only beautiful, but it was also mysterious and captivating. Arthur was fascinated by its secrets, and he felt a great sense of exploration and adventure. He was now determined to explore the jungle's depths and uncover its hidden treasures. Despite the beauty of the Congo Basin, there was a danger that lurked beneath the trees. The missionary and his men had heard stories of giant spiders lurking in the jungle, and as they ventured deeper into it, they could not help but feel a sense of dread. The warning seemed to follow them like a dark cloud, and they began to be even more vigilant about their surroundings. He knew this adventure was going to be dangerous, but he refused to let fear stop him from uncovering what lay at the heart of this incredible landscape. Traveling through the jungle in the Congo near Lake Nisa, one of his men caught a glimpse of something in the corner of his eye. It was stretching from tree to tree, like a web-like pattern made of glistening strands of rope-like silk. It moved back and forth in the air with the breeze, creating a shimmering canopy that obscured the sunlight but cast a menacing shadow on the ground below. As the men got closer, they realized that it wasn't just any spider web. It was much larger and much thicker than any web they had ever seen before. Before they knew it, they were soon tangled in its sticky strands, unable to move forward or back. Oh, they caught now. Just like many horror movies that you see. Mm-hmm. All the way back from the 1950s. Well... As Arthur and the others tried to extricate their comrades from the web, they quickly realized the strength of this spider's web was like nothing they had ever experienced before. It seemed to resist cutting from knife or from pulling apart. It was almost supernatural, as if some unknown force was using it to bind them in place. They were unable to break free no matter how hard they struggled. The men were paralyzed with fear when two giant spiders, one two feet in length and the other four feet long, emerged from underground trapdoors and attacked the men. The spiders moved without fear and swiftly, using webbing to ensnare their victims, immobilized them in place. The men were unable to move or escape as the spiders drew closer their mandibles clicking menacingly. The group's only hope was to fight back and to try and break free. The pair of Jabah Fofi moved swiftly and silently through the jungle, pouncing upon them with their huge mandibles and eight legs and biting into them to devour them alive. The group were unfortunately too late to escape as one of the missionaries had already been killed by one of the spiders while trying to protect his companions. Arthur himself was also badly bitten in the struggle, but he managed to fight on, 
pulling out a pistol to shoot at it in order to escape. The remaining group had no choice but to f continue forward, fighting off the spiders and praying for a way to survive. Amidst the gunfire, the spiders retreated for a while, but they knew that it would soon return, eager to consume the fallen missionaries. Well, there's only one now, so they get their guns out. Only one of the men were armed at this time. No, I mean only one spider left. Oh, actually it never says if the spider was killed. It just kind of scared them off. Oh, holy hell. The group knew that if they stayed in that spot any longer, they would be finished off by the spiders. So even though they were exhausted and injured, they pressed on, trudging through the jungle with grim determination. Eventually, after hours of travel, they managed to make it out of the danger and to safety. But their troubles weren't over yet. Now that they were safe from the spiders, they needed to find help for Arthur. The British mercenary was in such intense pain from his wounds. Thankfully, after some searching, they found a small village nearby where the locals were able to provide medical aid for Arthur and nursing care for all of the men. The missionary felt an intense burning sensation in each of the spots where the Jabafofi had bitten him, and soon afterward he developed a fever and began to shiver uncontrollably. Can you imagine how big those bites are, though? They would be, well, considering four foot, that's about the size of a dog, so yeah, imagine a dog bite would be about the same size. Now Arthur was sent to bed, and he noticed that the skin around the bite was now turning red and inflamed, almost resembling small mountain ranges. For any who have ever had a spider bite, you realize how irritating it can be. Now imagine one ten times that size and ten times that venomous. Arthur's eyes went wild and unseeing, his body trembling under his sweat-soaked clothes. His skin went pale and clammy, and his breathing rapid and erratic. He then began to mumble incoherently as he slipped in and out of consciousness. Eventually, he succumbed to the infection that was slowly consuming him from the inside and died before ever sharing his story with the outside world. The Jabaf Fofi, otherwise known as the giant Congolese spider, is a clever species and it exhibits trapdoor behavior in order to catch its prey. There are reports of a funnel trapdoor that are found either in the tree roots or in the web spanning between trees. Along with this, there's a trip line web that is created to alert the spiders of any prey who happens to cross its path, signaling the dinner bell. Once alerted, the spider would emerge from its hiding spot an intimidating dark brown arachnid resembling a tarantula with hairs sticking out and equipped with potent venom capable of killing its victims with one bite. So this would be the very first encounter with the Jabal Fofi, but would not be the last. I know that's what you wish. So they're dead now, right? <clears throat> what are dead now? They're, they're not out there still. The Jabafofi? Yeah. Oh, sure. You just think that, babe. Because if they didn't still exist, we wouldn't have a chapter two, <laughs> a leisurely drive. 
Reginald K. Lloyd and his wife, Margaret, were bumping along in their creaky Model A Ford as it struggled through the thick jungle path of the Democratic Republic of the Congo in 1938. The couple were surrounded by lush foliage and exotic wildlife, with only the occasional sound of a distant tribal drum punctuating the silence. The couple had trudged along for weeks through the dense rainforest of the Congo, their eyes peeled for exotic wildlife. The air was thick and humid, and they swatted away pesky bugs and mud clinging to their boots. The pair would stop occasionally to take photos and document their discoveries of the wildlife in their journals, with hopes of one day publishing their own book about their African adventure. During the 1930s, wildlife observation was limited to what hunters could see when they were out in the field. With no established methods for tracking animals or collecting data on their habitats and behaviors like we do today, most of what was known about the wildlife of Africa at that time came from observations and stories that hunters and explorers shared with one another. Visitors could either stay in tree houses deep in the jungle or embark on day trips into the wilds guided by locals. Many times they wandered by foot or could transverse the rudimentary dirt roads via vehicles. Reginald and Margaret did just this, driving to one populated area planning to return to their hometown the following day. That was when something sizable rustled in the bush in front of them, prompting them to stop their car. Though the vehicle's engine remained idling, they looked on in the late afternoon light. It was fading and they hoped to catch sight of maybe a monkey, perhaps a wild boar, or with some luck, a leopard. However, the couple came across a dark silhouette walking briskly across the lonely stretch of roadway. Reginald and Margaret both watched in confusion as the enormous figure moved quickly and without hesitation out of the dense foliage of the jungle. The husband squinted in the low light as he inched the vehicle closer, trying to determine what was directly ahead of them. Was it a cat, monkey, or the large jungle cat? Maybe even if it was a small child. He narrowed his eyes and gasped when he saw that it was nothing like anything he could have imagined. When he slammed on the brakes, a giant spider paused at the sound of the engine. Its long, hairy legs moved cautiously and hesitantly in the middle of the road. It carefully made its way one step at a time across the sun-dappled dirt road. Reginald peered through the windshield, squinting against the glare. This tarantula-like spider had a sleek black body with dark brown stripes running down its back. Its multiple beady black eyes were set in a bed of long, thin air hairs and it had eight legs with a span of three feet across, almost halfway across the road. The legs were covered in a fine downy hair. There were claws at the end of each limb, 
sharp, and predatory. This giant spider, the Jabah Fofi, moves slowly but with purpose, its long legs striking the ground steadily, almost without fear of the two. I bet not. He's like, I'm king of the food chain. Ain't no one gonna mess with me. Well, Margaret's voice was urgent as he urged her husband to accelerate and leave the area. Instead, Reginald turned to reach for his camera in the back of the car. But before he could grab it, the spider had moved off for the path and darted into the brush with the rustling of leaves. It disappeared into the trees, leaving no trace. The couple went through the pathway, steel reeling from their encounter as they drove along. They followed the well-worn road to the village and rushed to report what had happened to them. To their surprise, the local residents, the Baka people of the Northern Republic of Congo, revealed that these creatures they had spotted were far smaller than some that they already knew of. They thought Reginald and Margaret knew about the Jabal Fofi, so they hadn't mentioned it to him before. The couple, despite their enthusiasm for exploration, left the following day and never looked back. Something Goldie Ann could understand. <laughs> I would have ran, never looked back. Well, they had a vehicle, so they drove off. Okay. <laughs> However, the two told many who had come after them about the monster they encountered, inspiring other adventurers and hunters to seek out this horrible creature. Dumb. Why? There's always that desire to be the person who killed a monster or defeated a creature so they can say how brave or, or how macho they were. I actually know people who would probably try to go up to it and boop it on its nose. That's kind of what I thought would have been you. What? I mean, did we actually find a creature you don't want to adopt? Um, yeah. Ugh. That's scary. Very much, considering, you know, uh, claws and mandibles and so forth. Years later, Bill Gibbons was told about the meeting by Lloyd's daughter. But the locals knew even more about this massive eight-legged creature. Natives claim that the Jabafofi eggs are large, almost the size of an ostrich egg, and they are a pale yellow-white, shaped like peanuts. The hatchlings are bright yellow with a purple abdomen, but their coloration becomes darker and brown as they mature. According to the accounts of numerous native inhabitants, these colossal spiders have a long-standing presence in the surrounding area. However, over time, their numbers have dwindled due to a variety of factors, such as habitat loss and human intervention. Many attribute the spider's decline to its relentless expansion of civilization and the irreversible environmental impacts. Consequently, these creatures are now considered rare sites by many who once experienced their in a great abundance. So that should make you happy, Goldian. Well, I'm not going to the Congo anytime soon, so. Oh, damn. Did I forget to tell you your birthday present? <laughs> Better not be the Congo. It's not the Congo. Okay. Chapter 3. Giant Dinosaurs and Giant Spiders. Alrighty then. 
For weeks, William J. Gibbons, a famous naturalist and cryptozoologist, had tracked the Mokel Mbembe, a possible living African dinosaur. I know this isn't a cryptid we've talked on yet, but definitely on the list. Yeah. It's basically a brontosaurus uh, that exists in Africa. And I like as I figured you would. Well, William Gibbons had explored the remote, untamed regions of the Congo looking for any clues that could provide evidence of this creature's existence. So he would talk to everyone he could find. And he heard stories from the locals and followed rumors and legends into the depths of the rainforest. But he had yet to find any proof that would confirm the myths of this living dinosaur. However, on his third expedition, Gibbons came upon a small group of natives in the Congo who told him of experiences with giant spiders. And according to these natives, the spiders were big enough to capture and consume primates and people easily. And they resided deep within the same rainforest as the Mokel Mbembe. Suspicious of this claim, William decided to investigate further. Quote, On this third expedition to the equatorial Africa, I took the opportunity to inquire if the pygmies knew of such a giant spider. And indeed they did. They spoke of the Jabah Fofi, which is a giant or great spider. The natives described a spider that is generally brown in color with a purple abdomen. They grow to quite an enormous size with a leg span that can reach five feet across. The giant arachnids weave together a lair made of leaves similar in shape to a traditional pygmy hut. Hiding beneath the ground, they then spin a circular web said to be very strong between two trees with a strand stretched across a game trail. These giant ground-dwelling spiders prey on the diminutive forest antelope, birds, and other small game and are said to be extremely dangerous, not to mention highly venomous. This is all written by Gibbons. Now, historically, spiders did exist during the age of dinosaurs, so their connection to a living dinosaur is intriguing. The Mongolarachne are an extinct genus of giant spiders that existed during the Jurassic period, so were existed at the same time as dinosaurs. Why do I not know about this? Well, to date, only two fossilized specimens have ever been discovered with an estimated length of 13 inches and a leg span to be about 20 inches, so almost two feet across, these Jurassic spider fossils would have been the largest spiders to have ever existed in time, exceeding even the proven Goliath bird eater, the Theraposa blondi, which has a maximum leg span of about 12 inches. So there used to be prehistoric spiders of almost two feet across. But we've only found two fossils of them so far. I don't ever remember that in school. Now, because of its status as the largest spider to have ever lived, the megalarachne quickly became very popular to scientists. Unfortunately, this size would pale compared to the Jabal Fofi, which is at least a foot larger. 
Now, could it be that these are an offshoot that have increased in size over these centuries? Or, more likely, are there more fossils out there waiting to prove that even larger specimens of these eight-legged creatures exist? I mean, every day, archaeologists and such are finding new fossils. Um, I'm thinking I'm not going to the Congo. I mean, I just thought about the anacondas and stuff, but no. I think I'd wrestle an anaconda before I'd wrestle the spider. Well, anaconda is South America. Oh, Amazon. So pretty much anything south of the equator is off limits. Yeah, okay. basically. So giant snakes are off and giant spiders. Yes. Well, in the natural world, larger spiders would face a multitude of challenges that impede their survival. First off, oxygen molecules are too small for the spider's exoskeletons to capture, at least enough for a larger spider. Increased heat from an extra warm African day would cause them to dehydrate and they would perish from that. Additionally, larger spiders use up more resources fighting competing predators and competition for prey. The most obvious is that their exoskeleton, that shell that protects them, additional layers of chitin would add weight, which would crush larger spiders like the Jabafofi, which is why we don't have giant ants or other giant insects. Thank you, Lord. Spiders have learned to stay small enough to survive within their respective ecosystems through evolutionary adaption. Yet, evolution always does have a few surprises. Life finds a way. Well, perhaps the Jabafofi is such a creature, able to find a way to support its larger frame and food sources so that it awaits its next victim within the trapdoor jungle home. Won't be me. Well, before we go to the Congo... I want to remind everyone that we are on social media and would love to hear your stories and opinions about the Jabafofi. You can reach us on our Facebook page, Within the Mist Podcast, and we are on Instagram and have an email, Within the Mist Podcast at gmail.com, for any of you who would like to share. We hope you enjoyed our story of the Jabafofi, probably more than Goldie Ann did. <laughs> yeah. And we'll come again for another episode. Until next week, explore those dark, shadowy places and remain constantly curious. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, guys.